you would open your Bibles to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, and we're going to begin reading there in verse 23. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my father will love him, and we will come and we will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the words which you hear, um, the word which you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. These things I've spoken to you while abiding with you, but when the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit that guides us and teaches us and leads us into all truth. And we pray, oh God, as we open your word now in this moment, that you would show us wonderful things from your law, wonderful things about Jesus, our Savior, wonderful things about you, our Lord and our God, and wonderful things about what your will is for us here in this world and on this earth. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Morning, everybody. Good to be with you and good to uh, be able to gather together and worship our God. Um, happy Resurrection Day. Uh, as was already prayed, we celebrate the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus uh, each week. Um, but I always appreciate, too, and am thankful that, uh, that people um, in our culture and in our world value um, and are contemplating today the uh, death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord. Um, this is the Passover week, and so there's a sense in which all uh, people are reminded that this week, this is the time at which the Lamb of God took away the sins of the world. And we get to gather together and remember that today um, and celebrate the great things that our God has done for us. Praise God that he sent Jesus into the world to take our sin upon himself, to suffer and to die. And praise God that he didn't leave him in the grave, that the tomb was found empty. We get to live here in this world um, in many ways in, in, in a tension between that the cross and the tomb, um, even though today is Sunday, there's a sense in which in this world we live every day as Saturday. We are constantly filled with sorrows, sacrifices, um, sufferings for the Savior's sake. But we know that Sunday is coming. And so everything that we endure, we endure with hope, knowing that one day the Lord will return again. And with it, we too will be raised up to walk a new life with him. Praise God for Jesus Christ and for all the blessings that come through him. We've been uh, discussing over the past few months um, how to live a spirit-filled life. And uh, today, um, we, we've been talking about how uh, the signs of a spirit-filled life are not what, what you might think. Um, oftentimes, when people think about how do you know the Holy Spirit is in you, we think about gifts, spiritual gifts. Think about um, power, tongues, um, uh, healings, miracles. Um, but actually, the emphasis of Scripture when it talks to living a spirit-filled life is not on the gifts that the Spirit uh, produces, though the Spirit certainly did produce gifts. Um, it is on the fruit that the Spirit produces in the life of a Christian. And so we've been looking at some of those fruit of the Spirit uh, that the Scripture emphasizes. We talked about love and joy. And this day we want to focus on peace, um, the peace that comes from a Spirit-filled life. Um, and what I'd like to do with you today, uh, especially um, because this is Resurrection Day, I'd like for us to take some time to look at uh, Jesus, the Prince of Peace, um, and what the Bible teaches us about uh, Jesus, the one who would bring us peace. Then we're going to talk about how um, through Jesus, the, what I'll call the peaceful produce of the Spirit, that is, when Jesus put his Spirit into his people, 
There is a peaceful fruit that comes out of them, that it produces in them. Uh, and we'll talk about what that is and what that looks like. Um, and then finally, I want to talk to you a little bit about the path of peace. The scripture talks about there being a path of peace. How do we, as the people of God, walk in this path of peace so that the Spirit is constantly producing in us this, uh, this peaceful fruit of righteousness or this fruit of the Spirit, which is peace? Um, so that's what we'll do today. Uh, I want to, if you would, flip back to the Old Testament. And I want to start with you in the book of Isaiah, um, where this phrase, Prince of Peace, is found. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, beginning in verse 6. Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 6. Listen to what the word of God says. Isaiah spoke 700 years before Jesus was born. And he wrote this. He said, for a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. From then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. What I want you to notice in this passage is that 700 years before the Messiah came, God was speaking and he was telling his people that he was going to send a king, a king, the Christ, the Messiah. Whenever you hear that word Messiah, you ought to think of the word king, the anointed one of God. He was going to send his Messiah, his Christ, who would sit on the throne of David and would reign on a kingdom that would endure forever, that would a government that would rest on his shoulders. But notice this, his name will be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. God promised a Messiah who was going to bring a kingdom of peace to his people. And throughout history, throughout all of history, imagine if you're, if you're a young Hebrew growing up and going to the synagogue each week, every week you come to the synagogue. And what is the message that you're hearing as you sit there in worship to God? What is the message that's being preached? Hey, guys, just remember, the Messiah is coming. We need to be getting ready because the Messiah is coming. The Messiah is going to be here. And that's why in Isaiah 52, in Isaiah 52, um, Isaiah writes and says in verse 7, How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace, and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, your God reigns. Notice this, the blessing is upon those who bring good news. By the way, that's the word for gospel. The ones who bring the good news, who announce. What is the good news? Well, the good news is the gospel announces peace. Good news of happiness, salvation, and, Zion, and, and says to Zion, your God reigns. This is the promise. That God would not only establish a kingdom, but in his reign, he would, establish, he would bring good news of peace. It would be a kingdom of peace that would be coming to his people. And that's why, flipping over to the Gospel of Luke, we're going to focus more on the Gospel of Luke because Luke talks about peace more than all of the other gospel writers and emphasizes this theme in uh, Jesus' life. But that's why in Luke chapter 2, and verses 8 to 14, when Jesus was born, you remember in the shepherd, the shepherds were out staying in the field. And in Luke chapter 8 and chapter 2 and verse 9, an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. And the text says that the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terribly frightened. But the angel of the Lord said to them, don't be afraid for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, and what did they say? Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. 
Notice again, the, the reason the shepherds are rejoicing, the reason the angels are rejoicing is because God had promised that when the Messiah came, he would establish, he would become their savior and he would provide glory to God in the highest and peace on earth among men with whom he is pleased. The promise of the Messiah was that God would bring peace. And that's why when Simeon, you remember the old man Simeon, when Jesus came into the temple um, in Luke chapter uh, chapter two, later on, when, when they brought Jesus to the temple, the old man Simeon, who was near, near the time of death, but was waiting to see the promise of the Messiah come, praises God and he says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dis- dismiss your servant in peace. Simeon knew that when he saw the Savior come into the world, that there was a promise being fulfilled that God was bringing him peace. And therefore, he could dismiss his servant in peace. In fact, when we read the stories throughout the Gospel of Luke, what we find is that Jesus is constantly bringing peace to all those whom he encounters. People whose lives were broken and marred by sin and its consequences found peace through Jesus. One of my favorite stories that shows this is in Luke chapter 7. If you would flip over there to Luke chapter 7 and verse 36. Do you remember this story? Jesus is at the house of a Pharisee who begged him to come and dine with him. I don't know how often Jesus got invited to a Pharisee's house to eat, um, but this Pharisee had brought him uh, in to dine with him, and he's reclining at the table. And the text says in verse 37, that there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. Maybe your Bible says who was known to be a sinner. She was known to have lived a sinful life. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And she stood behind him at his feet, weeping. And she began to wet his feet with her tears. And she kept wiping them with her hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with perfume. And you've got to ask yourself, why is she weeping? Why is she so sad? Why is her heart so broken? She's anointing his his feet with the perfume. And when the Pharisee sees this, the Pharisee who had invited him, he says, hey, if this guy knew what kind of person this woman was, the one who's touching him, that she is a sinner, he wouldn't let her do this. He wouldn't let her sit at his feet. He wouldn't let her pour this uh, perfume on her. That's the impression of the Pharisee. But Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. I, I expect he was, I anticipate that he was expecting Jesus to say, Simon, I have something to say to her. But actually the message was first to him. And he told Simon a story about a, a moneylender who had two debtors, one who owed him 500 denarii and the other 50, and they weren't able to repay. And when they were not able to repay, he graciously forgave them both. And the question Jesus left Simon with was, which of them will love more? And Simon said, I suppose it'll be the one who forgave more. And he said, you've judged correctly. And then he turned to Simon and he said to the woman, and he said to Simon, he said, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You didn't even give me water to wash my feet. She's wet my feet with her tears and kept and wiped them with her hair. You didn't kiss me when I came in, but she's not ceased to kiss my feet. You didn't anoint my head with oil. She's anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason, I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And then he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. And those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And listen to this. He, he, he turns to the woman and he says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. There's a lot to love about this story. Um, there's a lot to unpack in the story. And we're not going to do all of it today um, as much as I would like. But the thing I want you to... To, to key in on in this particular story is this story reminds us that no matter who you've been or what you've done or how long you've wasted the life that God has granted you, how many years 
How many hours? How many months? You've wasted the time that God has granted you, no matter how long that sinful life that you've been living has been. It's not too late. Jesus can still give you peace. And when Jesus turned to this woman and said, your sins are forgiven, go in peace, your faith has saved you. He's proving not just to her and not just to the Pharisees, but to each and every one of us that we can come to him with lives that are broken and marred by sin. And we can find in him the peace we have been desperately seeking for. Jesus brought peace to those who had wrecked their lives by sin. Jesus can bring peace to each and every one of us. Another story that I love comes in the next chapter in Luke 8 and verse 43. Do you remember this story? Another woman who had had a serious uh, problem for about 12 years. She'd gone to all sorts of doctors. She couldn't be healed by anybody. And she finally comes up behind the teacher as he's in a rush to go and heal somebody else's uh, somebody else's family member, who, daughter who's dying. And as she comes up, she touches the fringe of his cloak and immediately she's healed. And Jesus kind of um, surprisingly and maybe embarrassingly calls her out in front of the crowd. You know, I mean, this was not a uh, not the kind of uh, problem that you'd like for people to know about the problem that she was experiencing and the problem that she was facing. Um, but Jesus calls her out and says, who is the one who touched me? And of course, they're all denying it. Peter says, hey, people are crowding in. They're pressing on you everywhere. Of course, everybody's touching you. And Jesus said, no, someone touched me for I was aware that the power had gone out of me. And when the woman saw that she had not escaped notice, she came trembling and she fell down before him and declared in the presence of all the people, the reason why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Once you think about this, even after she was healed, she still came trembling. Because up until this time, there was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of, um, I don't know what the word is, um, ignorance about what this kind of kingdom would be like. What kind of king is this? Okay, so he can heal me of my blood problem. That in and of itself is amazing. But still, that doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to be good and kind. And so she comes fearing and trembling. Like, what, is he going to rebuke me? Is he going to attack me? Is he going to destroy me for touching his garment without permission? What does Jesus say? Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. You know what this tells us? This tells us that Jesus can bring peace to even to us when we are helpless and when we are hopeless. He can take us even when we have gone everywhere else. We've sought peace in every other place and come back empty. We can find peace in Jesus. And even when we have lost all hope that things could ever be better, we can find peace in Jesus. Jesus brought peace to those he encountered whose lives were broken and marred by sin and its consequences. I'll just add to this too. Um, the passage that we just read in John chapter 14 and verse 27 proves that Jesus promised peace to his disciples. Jesus promised peace to his people. Listen to John 14 and verse 27 again. John 14 and verse 27, where Jesus says this, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Notice in this text that Jesus is saying to his disciples that there's a promise of peace for the people of God. For those who will put their trust in him, for those who will wait for his Holy Spirit, there's a peace that he's going to leave with them, a peace that he's going to give. Now, you might read some other parts of the New Testament. You might be like, peace? Didn't Jesus say some things like, I'm not coming to bring peace, but to bring a sword? Didn't Jesus say, hey, just so you know, I didn't come into this world to bring uh, peace, but a sword. Actually, in Luke chapter 9 and verse 51, he says just that. Let me read it here. Jesus was determined to go to Jerusalem. That's not the verse I was looking for. Um, I have miswritten 
my verse here. Um, but I think you know, know the text. You know the text that it speaks about it. That I come not to bring peace, but to bring a sword. Father will be turned against son. Brother against brother. Brother against sister. The Lord says, ultimately, hey, they're gonna be, there's going to be a sense in which me, bringing, me coming into the world is not going to provide any peace. It's going to provide division. And I want you to think about this. In order for us to have peace with God, there will always be division with the world. You can't have both. You can either be at peace with the world or you can be at peace with God. And in that sense, Jesus certainly did bring division. Some of us have experienced that, haven't we? By choosing to put our faith in the Lord, it's caused division in our families. By, by choosing to trust in the Lord, it's caused division with friends and with co-workers and with other people that maybe we used to be close to and we used to be at peace with. That friction has, has, has come out of our relationship with the Lord. And we need to remember that living in the peace of Christ does not mean that life will always be peaceful in every relationship and in every situation and circumstance. Jesus actually said this later on in the Gospel of John, in, uh, in, in John chapter 16 and in verse 33. Listen to what Jesus said to his disciples there. He said it this way. He said, these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Notice the dichotomy here or, or, or the distinction here that Jesus says. Actually, I'm giving you peace, but, but actually in the world you're still going to have trouble. So peace is not the absence of trouble in this world. Amen. Actually, Jesus said, hey, you're going to be in this world, and as long as you're in this world, there will be trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. And this is where the, the joy of the Passover week really comes to full fruition. Because you remember this in Luke chapter 19, when Jesus enters Jerusalem in Luke chapter 19 and in verse 38. Remember on that Palm Sunday, everybody's gathering together and they are worshiping him as he's approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives. The whole crowd of disciples begins to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen. And they're shouting, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. I love that. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. The people realized, hey, this is the king coming in. And the promise of God was that when the king would come, the Lord would also bring with it a kingdom of peace. And yet right after that, we see Jesus looking at Jerusalem in verse 42, and he's weeping. As Jesus approaches Jerusalem, he sees the city and he weeps. And he says, if you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. He just looks out at the, at the city and he says, hey, if only you knew what I was coming to provide for you. But yet these things have been hidden from your eyes. You know, the same is true today. There is a peace of God that is available to all people. But for many people, that peace is hidden from their eyes. And we ought to weep about that. And as long as we are in this world, we will be weeping about that. There will be trouble. There will be sadness. There will be sorrow. There will be heartbreak as we see people whose eyes are hidden from the peace that God is seeking to provide for them. But there's more still. You remember Isaiah when he wrote about the coming of the suffering servant in Isaiah chapter 53. Listen to what he said when he wrote about the coming of, uh, of God's suffering servant. Isaiah said this, speaking about Jesus, beginning in verse 3. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, like one from whom men hide their face. He was despised and we did not esteem him. 
Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our peace fell upon him. And by his scourgings, we are healed. The chastenings for our peace fell upon him. You see, what Jesus was doing when he came to Jerusalem and when they were shouting, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. What Jesus was doing when he came into Jerusalem was he was bringing about the, the greatest peace the world had ever known. Unfortunately, so many of them didn't recognize it. And so many of us haven't recognized it either, that ultimately it was only through his chastisement, it was only through his punishment that we can have peace. What a blessed day it is to be able to remember that God, through his suffering on the cross, God our Savior, Jesus Christ, came to bring about our peace. Praise God for the peace that we have, for the punishment that he took upon himself so that we might have peace. It's for this reason that Jesus, after he appeared, do you remember what the first words were that came out of his mouth when he appeared to the disciples? Luke chapter 24 and in verse 36, when Jesus had risen from the dead and then he rose up and appeared to the disciples, listen to what he says in Luke chapter 4. And at 24 and verse 36. While they were telling these things, Jesus himself stood in their midst. And what did he say to them? Peace be to you. They were startled and frightened and thought they were seeing a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. See what Jesus is saying? Peace be to you. Now, I don't know. Maybe Jesus um, greeted his disciples always with that saying, peace be to you. I, I, the, the greeting of shalom is obviously a common greeting in Hebrew or, or peace be to you. Um, we have Arabic speakers here, some of which uh, use that greeting in Arabic to say hello as well. Salam alaikum. Which is, peace be unto you. Um, But it is interesting to me that the only time in the Gospels that we see this phrase mentioned, Jesus speaking this phrase, is after his resurrection. Um, Three times in the Gospel of John, Jesus will appear to his disciples and his first words will be, peace be to you. Why? Why? I don't know. But I do wonder about this. What was finished when Jesus went to the cross? Remember Jesus on the cross hanging says, It is finished. What was finished? What was the work of God that was finished? Well, part of the work of God that was finished was the work to bring about our peace. And therefore, Jesus could say to his people after he was raised from the dead, why are you troubled? Yeah, there's still a lot of things in the world that are troubled, but you don't have to be troubled any longer. You have peace, the peace that comes from knowing me. Which brings us to the second part of this. I want us to think for a moment about what is the peaceful produce of the spirit in the lives of God's people. Look at Romans chapter five and verse one. And I love this as Paul is kind of speaking about the results of our justification by faith. Because Jesus went to the cross, because Jesus took our sins upon himself, because he became the propitiation for us that atoning sacrifice for us because he was the Lamb of God. What does that do for us? Look at Romans 5 and verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exalt in hope of the glory of God. We have peace with God. You know, the greatest blessing that comes out of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross 
his suffering, his death, the, the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. The greatest blessing that comes out of that sacrifice is the knowledge that we now have peace with God. That is to say it this way. Well, let me just illustrate it this way. Imagine, um, man, I was talking to somebody this week, uh, a friend of mine, and uh, who had someone very close to them uh, pass away during COVID. Um, and she was talking to me about how um, some in the family were not at peace with this person who, who had passed away and how heartbreaking that is. Um, probably you've seen that where a family member or a friend has passed on and somebody was not at peace with them when they passed. There's a lot of heartbreak, a lot of sorrow, a lot of guilt, a lot of frustration that comes with that. And it would be heartbreaking to, to pass away or to see people close to you pass away and know that we were not reconciled, we were not right, we were, there was no peace between us. Um, but as great as that peace is, many people live with that peace, uh, with that lack of peace every day. Relationships that are not yet restored or reconciled. Some people are so frustrated by that that they're not even working to try to reconcile them. Imagine, though, an even greater pain that most of the world is experiencing right now, an even greater pain of passing without being at peace with God. Think about this. When sin entered the world in the garden, when man sinned, what was the greatest consequence? There were many consequences. Read Genesis 3, and you'll see many, many consequences of sin. But what was the greatest consequence that came out of that sin? The greatest consequence was man being set, sent out of the garden where God, God the Father and God the Son were no longer have abiding with man. There's a separation that came from sin. There's a division that came from sin because of man's choice to disobey God. And you know what this passage is telling us? Because of what Jesus did on the cross and because of his resurrection, that division is now removed. That barrier, that wall that was separating us from God and keeping us from being able to come into the presence of God to have access to God has been removed. There's no wrath of God on us anymore. No anger, no division, no separation. We are part of a kingdom of peace in the Holy Spirit. In fact, Paul would say that later on in Romans 14. Do you remember this in Romans chapter 14 and in verse 17? Do you remember what the scripture said? For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. What kind of kingdom do we have among God's people? It's a kingdom of righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. So those who have God's Spirit are now in part of a kingdom that brings peace. And I want to tell you, you can have turmoil and you can have trouble in every other part of life. But if you have peace with God, you have a peace that surpasses all understanding that the world does not know. And we've seen it, haven't we? We know people like that. Their life, you look at their life and it's a mess. Everything is going wrong. There's trouble on every side. And yet they are at perfect, what seems like a perfect peace because they have peace with God. What a blessing. We have peace with God. Turn to Ephesians chapter two, though, because there's another part to this that I think is critical for us to grasp when we think about the gospel of peace. What does peace produce in the life of a spirit-filled person. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. I want to start reading in verse uh, 14, uh, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. By abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments, which contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. And might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. You see the point that Paul's making here? The gospel doesn't just bring peace with God. It brings peace with each other. 
Jesus came here to die to break down every barrier so that not only would we have access into the presence of God, but we would have access into the presence of one another where we become people that used to be enemies, become friends and family. People that used to have nothing in common now have everything in common. And isn't that what we see? And isn't that part of what we celebrate on a day like this? We celebrate what God has done in reconciling us to him, but also in reconciling us to each other. That the Lord has broken every barrier down and he's taken people from every nation, tribe and tongue. And he's brought us together and he's made us part of his holy people in which we can be one body united through Christ Jesus and through his blood, which was shed. He himself is our peace. He's not just my peace. He is our peace. He has brought us into peace with God and into peace with one another. So the spirit produces in us a peace with God and a peace that, that, that also uh, extends to one another and to all who are part of God's kingdom. But what does it look like for um, a follower of the Messiah, a follower of the king? What does it look like to walk in the path of peace? It's interesting, Zechariah um, said something in his prayer in Luke chapter one. Um, he spoke about the Messiah and John the Baptist coming with him, his son, who would come to guide our feet in the path of peace. And that's an interesting phrase, isn't it? To guide our feet into the path of peace. Have you ever thought about peace as being a path, pathway? Um, I think that's a helpful thought. Because sometimes we have peace, but we don't really fully have peace. You ever felt like that? Like, I know I have peace with God, but I don't always feel like I have peace with God. I know I should have peace with my brethren, but it doesn't always feel like there's peace with my brethren. It, there's like this already peace, but there's this not yet peace that we're still working towards. And we're kind of stuck in the tension again, right? Um, so what does it look like for a child of the Messiah, of, the, of, of God, a, 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 a follower of the king, to walk in the path of peace? There's a lot of things that scripture reveals about that. We're just going to focus on uh, a few here as we wrap up. Um, and the first one is uh, to walk in the path of peace means to trust in the God of peace, to trust in the God of peace to bring you that everlasting peace. Now, the reason I point that out, you might say, well, that's just obvious. Why would you say that? Um, but to trust in the God of peace to bring you everlasting peace. You know, the reason I point that out is because even followers of the Messiah, oftentimes we're seeking peace in other places. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed how sometimes we can run everywhere but God seeking peace? There's a song that we sing, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Uh, there's a line in that song, Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. Have any of you guys ever felt that? Pain that is needless. Peace that is lacking in your life, but you forfeited it. It's not like you couldn't have it. You forfeited it because you weren't seeking that peace in God. You were seeking it in other places. See, many of us seek our peace in all the wrong places. That's why our brother Stephen used to lead the song uh, when he was here with us. I will seek my peace in thee. Oh, Lord, my God. Beautiful song. Because the problem is that many times we're looking for peace in all these other places rather than seeking our peace in God himself. And I just want to tell you, too, that the Bible speaks in such a way as if this is something that we have, but we have to work in order to maintain it. Think about it this way. Uh, in Colossians chapter three, you remember what Paul said? Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. You see what that means? What that means is that you have a choice whether or not the peace of Christ will rule in your heart or not. And you see, some of our problem is that even though Christ died, his work is finished. We have that peace with God. We're not letting the peace of God rule inside of us, the peace of Christ rule in us. And therefore, we're struggling. We're troubled. And oftentimes when we get in trouble and when we're going through hardships and when we're, our lives are broken, and when we sin, when we fall, oftentimes rather than turning to the Lord, we turn to all these other places to try to rescue us. When the Lord's sitting here and saying, look, I already sent my son. I've already done the hardest part. It's not like I can't help you through this trial too. 
And we need to let Christ's peace rule in our hearts. We need to seek our peace in him. Uh, Paul said it this way in Romans 8 and verse 6. The mind set on the spirit is life and peace. That is to say, you can, you can choose to have a mind that's not set on the spirit. And if you do, you won't have life and peace. But a mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Now, related to this, part of trusting in the God of peace, it, it, well, let me just say it in two ways. Part of trusting in the God of peace is, um, is learning to let God be God and take care of things that are outside of our control. At the end of the book of Romans, there's something insightful that Paul says at the end there. Um, he says to, to the, these Roman Christians who are going through a lot of hardships and trials and had greater ones ahead of them after he wrote this letter. You know what he said at the end of the letter? One of the last things he said to them was, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. I find a lot of hope, joy, and peace in that statement. Because, you know, there's a lot of things that Satan is doing that I can't control and I can't overcome. There's a lot of evil in this world. There's a lot of trouble in this world that as much as I wish I, by being a peacemaker, could solve it all, I can't. It's helpful to know that actually the God of peace will soon crush Satan under his feet and under your feet too. That is to say, if we put our trust in God and we are loyal to him and we are faithful to him, the Lord is ultimately going to crush all the evil that Satan is doing in our lives, whether that be sin that we, that we are struggling with, whether that be sin that, that, that is going on around us, that's affecting us, the Lord will crush Satan under your feet, the God of peace. There's great peace in that. But let me just say this too. Um, knowing that trusting in, in the God of peace also means that, uh, that we learn to appreciate the Lord's discipline in our lives. Amen. Trusting in the God of peace means that we learn to appreciate the Lord's discipline in our life. Turn with me, if you would, for a moment to the book of Hebrews chapter 12. And I want to show you something there in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, and I'd like to read beginning in verse... Uh, Eleven. He's talking here about the discipline of a father toward a son and particularly how the heavenly father disciplines his children, just like a loving father would their own children. And this is what he says. Verse 11. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Do you hear that? All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Now, what I want you to think about is this. How do you think or how do you view the discipline of God in your life, the chastening of God in your life? Someone might say, well, I thought God was a God of peace. Why is he chastening me? Why is he frustrating me? Why is he allowing me to endure troubles in my life? I thought God was a God of peace. Well, you know, for the Christian, peace often comes on the back end, not on the front end. You know what I mean by that? What I mean by that is oftentimes the discipline of God may seem anything but peaceful in the moment. But if I will allow God's discipline to train me and to teach me to walk in his ways, Ultimately, it brings an everlasting peace in the end. And I want you to think about this. It's only right if, if, if his punishment, if, if the punishment of Jesus on the cross is what brought about our peace, then will not also our chastening bring about peace in the end? It may not feel like peace in the moment. We may not be feeling peaceful in the moment when the affliction is coming. But ultimately, we know that Paul said in Romans 5, we can rejoice even in our trials and in our tribulations, knowing that God can use even those things to produce in us a character that prepares us for glory with him. When discipline is uh, fought against, life is frustrating and hard. But when discipline is accepted, the soul is at peace, 
rid of all the pains and all the divisions that come from our own sinful hearts. And so we need to trust in God and trust in his discipline and in his chastening to help us to become what he is producing in us through his spirit. Let me just say a second thing here, though, uh, that just a practical lesson for us to walk in the path of peace. What does it mean? It means to make every effort to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Right after Jesus, right after Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, this is what Jesus has accomplished. He's brought you this peace in Christ. He is our peace. He's made us one body. Then he turns right around in chapter 4 and verse 3, and he says, now it's your job to preserve the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. That is, you go out and you work to be at peace with your brothers and sisters. And I just want to say this. If Jesus went to the cross praying for unity, in us as his people and in all of his people, then surely, surely we can crucify our own selfish desires for the sake of peace and unity in the body of Christ. Surely we can die to self in order to preserve the unity uh, of God's people and uh, in the bond of peace. Romans 14, Paul would say, pursue the things which make for peace and for the building up of the body. And that ought to be our motto as the people of God. How do we show the spirit living in us? We pursue the things which make for peace and for the building up of the body. Let me just extend that a little bit more, though, because we say, well, yeah, I'm at peace with uh, the, the body of Christ. Um, I'm at peace with all my brothers and sisters here. Um, but sometimes what happens is, yeah, we're working on peace here, but not on peace at all out there. And Paul extends that even further um, when he says uh, in, in Romans chapter 12 and verse 18, as much as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. That is to say, the peace of God that is in us, that has given us this great peace with God, should produce in us a peacemaking spirit with all people. Blessed are those who are peacemakers, Jesus said. And we need to think about this. Pursue peace with all men, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14, and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. We need to think about this. There are opportunities around us, people whose lives are broken and marred by sin, and they are not, it is not easy to be a peacemaker with people who are troublemakers. That's not an easy thing. But we are called to do that. And I want us to think about what, what would God say about me? Am I a peacemaker? Or am I a troublemaker? Are the relationships that I have with people, would, 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 would people describe those as peaceful relationships where I'm doing everything in my power to be at peace with these people who I've been blessed to live around? You see, the thing is, like the idea of being at peace with all men, you know, it, 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 it's a beautiful thought until we start putting into all men those people around us every day that are really hard to be at peace with. And I want you to think about what about with those people, whether they're in the family of God or outside of the family of God, who are the people that you are struggling the most to be a peacemaker with? And what can you do to change, to work, to make sure that as much as it depends on you, you are at peace with all men? Yes, it is true that the gospel will divide. Yes, it is true that the gospel will cause pain and will cause relationships to separate. But it ought not be because of our own sinfulness that those relationships are divided or separated. It ought to be because of the gospel itself. And we need to make sure that we're, we're working toward peace. I'll just say this. Um, we have something that the world doesn't have to keep us moving towards peace. The world continually is falling into despair because it looks around and it says, man, we want the world to be full of peace. We want there to be peace and harmony on earth. But we look around and there's so much hatred and there's so much fighting and there's so much killing and there's so much division and so much separation. And, and people look around, and they say, well, what are we going to do? Many people fall into despair, but we have something that the world does not. And that is the knowledge of the crucifixion and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. When we look at the crucifixion, we see just how much a human is capable of giving up their own selfish desires in order to bring peace to mankind. And when we look at the resurrection, we see what God has proven that he will do in the end. 
that he will set all things right. So we have a motive through Jesus that presses us as the people of God to continue working toward peace in this world. And I just want to say to you, if you've gotten distracted, if you've been acting more like a troublemaker than a peacemaker, if you've been acting, uh, if you've been causing separation and division rather than causing peace and harmony and unity, whether among the people of God or in the world, I want to encourage us to get back on mission and get back on our focus, proclaiming the gospel of peace, both with our words and with our lives. The way we'll bring peace to the world is by proclaiming the gospel of peace and sharing the good news of the Prince of Peace with the world around us, the one who died on that cross and who was raised and who is now reigning in heaven. Maybe there's somebody here today who uh, is not at peace with God. Um, maybe there's somebody here watching who uh, has lost their relationship with the Lord. Um, or, or maybe you've never actually had one. You've been searching for peace in all kinds of other places. I want to encourage you today. The Lord invites you today on this resurrection day to come to him, to die with him, to be buried with him in baptism, to be raised up with him, to walk in newness of life. And I want to encourage you, if you're lacking peace, come to Jesus, the Prince of Peace, the one who can give you a peace that is everlasting and eternal. In him alone will we find that peace which surpasses all understanding. Let us pray. Thank you, Father, so much for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to come together and worship you today and honor you and glorify your name. Please, Father, help us to, uh, to honor the Prince of Peace, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, not just with our lips, but also with our lives. Help us, Father, to walk in the path of peace. And may the world see uh, the, the signs of your spirit living in us as we produce love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Um, help us toward that end, O oh God. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.